Now here's those boyhood friends, Ron and Dave. I mean, Ron and Delbert. I'm just kidding. Here's Ronna and Donna. (laughs) Hey, what's going on, you guys? Episode 73 of the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for stopping by. We appreciate you. Don't forget all this is brought to you by our good friends at Windermere. When you're ready to sit down, it's called a Ron and Don sit-down. If you'd like to sit down with us... Let's do it. In fact, uh, it's called the Ron and Dunn sit-down. It says that on the camping mug. That yeah, we, we have a mug for you that we're going to give you. And it is. It, it might be the same colors as a certain uh, football franchise around here that we cannot name. Yeah. But when you see the color scheme, you're going to like it. It's not the Chicago Bears. Let's just say that. All right. Ron at Windermere.com. Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. Everything at RonandDon.com. Hear about our real estate journey. Now, you can be a part of it, and we can be a part of yours. Uh, click on the Realtors, Ron and Don. Also click on the radio microphone and get signed up for the newsletter as over 5,000 people have done that now. And it drops every Wednesday. Don't forget this show every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday coming up on episode 73. All screen time is not the same time, Ron. Isn't that right? Absolutely. This is a fascinating story that uh, I think is going to help a lot of people yeah. out. Also, I found out, I've shared my story with you about Jim and about Gary uh, my two very good friends that have stage four cancer, and they're very young men. Uh, and then I just found out a third friend has stage four cancer. I'm not going to share her name, uh, but I'm going to share a little bit about her story and why being around these three people has maybe been one of the greatest things of my life. So we'll share that in just a moment. First, let's talk about I just walked into Trader Joe's last night, hmm. and I'm seeing everybody at Trader Joe's. With, that works there with blue gloves on. I'm starting to see people in public with face masks on. I'm looking at social media, and I'm seeing that if you try to go out right now in the city of Seattle or the city of Chicago or Manhattan, wherever you are, if you go out and you try to buy these blue gloves, you try to buy these face masks, it's very difficult to do that. Flying back from Maui a couple of weeks ago, all the flight attendants, uh, they had blue gloves on. I was starting to see passengers with face masks mass on as we think about this virus and as we're learning that this virus is now spreading to the united states uh what is your take on this is the dow has now plunged thousands of points and we are being told hey you know what don't panic uh more people die of the flu every year that's always the line that we get when it comes to a pandemic right well the one thing that i do um worry about in in one sense and i don't i I never like to just stoke fear for no reason um this current administration though did fire everyone that was in charge of pandemics at the cdc and never rehired those jobs uh, and that was one of the things that in this downsizing that happened over the last three years, that's alarming. Hmm. So the people that had expertise at a world-class level of understanding how these things spread, how these things move. Uh, if you remember when Ebola was, was happening, that it was the CDC, uh, that actually developed a serum that was able to save lives in that and then spin that up and, and be able to mass produce it. And so the fact that that, that infrastructure was going there that part of it is worrisome to me um and and you just need to look no further than some of these cruise ships there's a cruise ship right now from carnival cruises who's one of the largest ones i don't i don't know if they come into ballard or not i think they do i think that carnival has uh, some stuff that comes into they ballard and, uh, and they will Prince, go the out. princess line yeah and so uh carnival cruises is the biggest one in the world uh they have a ship right now that has 3,711 passengers on this uh passengers and 
crew on this Carnival Cruise line. And right now, uh, somewhere over 600 people on this cruise line have uh, contracted this the, the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire ship is locked down. They have to wait until the, the last... The last person to show symptoms, then you have to wait for two weeks after the last person is non-symptomatic in order to release people. So they're taking these 3,000 people. They are quarantined on the cruise line right now, and um, they cannot leave their rooms. So if you're in a stateroom on the inside, we're like, hey, we're going to save 300 bucks on this cruise. Let's get the one in the hallway with no windows. You are stuck in that room with no windows for at least two weeks. And if you have the coronavirus, that has uh, even worse. So you're stuck being sick, quarantined on a Carnival Cruise Line, and you are not out on the climbing wall and seeing the the, the really bad Blue Man Group invitation down in the, in the theater. You are stuck in your room. And so these sort of situations can happen more quickly on an airplane where if someone has it, it's incubating. They fly from China to the United States, which I just did. I, I went to in November. I was in, in Shanghai. Uh, that's a nonstop flight directly to Seattle. You get off the plane here, and now you're symptomatic. Uh, th- this is something that I think will make its way to the United States. Yeah, I States. talked to a friend of mine, a flight attendant for a major carrier. She sent me the email that went out to all the flight attendants and all the flight crews and is basically saying, uh, this is how you interact with passengers. This is how you deal with gloves. This is how you deal with snot tissues. Uh, and she told me something just really bizarre. She said, you wouldn't believe, uh, even before this virus started to spread, she said, you wouldn't believe the amount of people that ring the bell. Do you ever ring the bell? I don't, I, I'm not a bell I'm, ringer. I've done it you, once or you twice. You seem like you would be, because you twice. like service. No, once or twice, but not very, not very rarely. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't. And if the plane is going down uh, and we're gonna crash into the Pacific Ocean, I might ring the bell and ask for a last beverage or something, or maybe some final. Can you pretzels. pass this note to that flight attendant? <laughs> right, we're so, about to crash. So maybe this is the flight attendant that I was talking to. Uh, sent me this note. I saw everything that the flight crews are being warned to do and interacting with passengers. And, and then it says, you know, basically at the end to, to, to not panic. And we don't want to create panic aboard the airplane. But I'm telling you, as someone that just went on an airplane and you look around and you see a couple face masks and you walk through the airport and you see those face masks, it freaks you out a little bit. This is where it comes home to me because I got a nine-year-old, right? You may have heard. In fact, you may have heard between the segments that I have this nine-year-old. This is where it comes home to me. When he was in kindergarten, uh, he contracted a virus. We went to Children's Hospital 17 times. The virus got in his eye, and we were afraid he was going to go blind. The virus then got in my eye. The virus got in six other people's eyes that we knew. When we went to Children's Hospital, number one, they didn't know what the virus is. Number two, when they came in the room, they all looked like they were part of the Blue Man Group. I mean, they all looked like they were NASA astronauts. They had scrubs on, face masks, the whole thing, because they didn't know what this was. This went on for weeks, and it was so painful. And when it got into my eyes, I don't know if you remember, uh, but it got into my left eye. My left eye is an eye that legally I've been blinded for a long time, but I could always see out of it, and I could correct the vision. When this virus hit my eye, it took my vision from my eye completely, and I've never disclosed that before. It's one of the reasons why, or the reason why I had to have a cornea transplant. So my son was out of kindergarten for months and months and months, and... 
this virus was so painful. I had to get online and start calling around the country and talking to eye experts to figure out what was going on. I found out this virus came from China. It came through the East Coast. It probably traveled on an aircraft. It came to Seattle. At some point, my son had touched a door uh, or one of his friends had touched a door, touched a keyboard, something. And then this thing started to spread. For some people, it doesn't affect them the way that it affected me and the way that it affected him. And for some of the other people that got the virus, it wasn't a big deal. It was a couple eye drops, which eye drops really don't help with a virus, but it makes you feel like you're doing something. And then they were back to work. For me, I ended up getting a cornea transplant as a result. For him, for him, if this starts popping up in schools, I'm not listening to what the mayor has to say about this. I'm not listening to the city council. By the time you start listening to them, it may be too late. We're going to stay at home. We're going to homeschool. And we're just going to ride it out. Because at the end of the day, when people in government start telling you not to panic, when you get behind closed doors, and we did news talk radio long enough, that's when they are panicking. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Thinking about retirement? What are you going to do with the house? Let's do a Ron and Don sit down. Email ron at windermere.com. You can become a sponsor of the Ron and Don Show. Just go to glow.fm slash Ron and Don Radio. Episode 73, the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for stopping by. He's Ron, I'm Don, and we appreciate all your support. Everything about us is at ronanddon.com, and we appreciate the three, Almost everything. The 300,000 <laughs> uh, folks out there that are listening now. This podcast, Bigger Than Terrestrial Radio. And it is taking Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, and Japan. It is. We're big in Japan. Taken it by storm. Us and David Hasselhoff. Who would have known? Screen time. We think about that at my house. We make sure that we carve out time. We're not doing screen time. We have brought back the dinner table. We sit down at dinner. We try to not watch screens. How's that going? Uh, you know what? I'm finding I eat really fast. And my son eats really slow. And a lot of times I'm sitting over there with my arms crossed just going, When are you going to finish your dinner so we can get to dessert? You're driving me crazy! I'm a fast eater, too. Other than that, uh, it, it's been very bonding and great and lovely. It's very, very lovely. So now, as a parent, and we've talked about this for years, there has been this thing, and even for and people that don't have kids, screen time bad. Yeah. Like, that, it's, 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 it's this blanket statement where if you're spending a lot of time on screens, that's just bad. End of story. Move on. Change that. Don't do that anymore. Yeah. And so I always like and appreciate studies like this one that just came out in nature.com that are a little more nuanced, but it runs the risk of having to be nuanced. And we learned over the years in radio that a lot of people don't like nuance. They like <laughs> the bumper sticker slogan where they just go screen time bad, non-screen time good. Right. So this is a little bit nuanced All and right. they, they call it the human screenome project. And they're, they're making a play on the word genome where you would take some one's genome you break it down into its component parts and then you could tell oh you're more likely to have get this disease or that disease or this disorder whatever and so there these uh folks that did this study were saying you know what i i don't think i don't believe this i don't think that you can just say all screen time is bad screen time and so what they wanted to do is they said first off people are horrible at telling the truth about a 
their dating life, and B, the time they spend on screens. They either vastly underestimate it, vastly overestimate it. They're not very accurate in what they say they do or what they say they watch. And so they they created this app that would uh, actually log second by second what you're doing on your screen. And then they wanted to categorize it. So here, here was the theory. Not everybody is the same. So they would take person A. So let's say you have two people, both of them spend one hour of screen time. And so in the old way of looking at it, you just go, that was bad. You guys should spend less than an hour. It's like, hold on, slow your roll here a minute. Person A, let's say that they do um, 15, or let's say they do 32 minute bursts is in that equals one hour of screen time. So they check their phone 30 times. They get on there, they scroll around real fast and they're off. And they, 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 they consider a screen time from the, the instant that your screen illuminates to when it goes dark again. So that would be a screen time uh, session. This other person also had an hour of screen time. Let's say that they did uh, 10 five-minute sessions. Or is that right? Am I doing the math right? That's 50 minutes. So let's say they did 12 <laughs> five-minute sessions. You know, it seems right to me. Yeah. So you have 12 sessions versus 30 sessions. One person's in and out an average of two minutes. This other person spends five minutes on there. So they said just that. If we just stop there, that, that's a huge difference. Really? So the person that is constantly just needing this dopamine hit. Yeah. Like, I'm on, I'm off. I'm on, I'm off. I'm on, I'm off. I pick up my phone and put it down. I pick up my phone and put it down. They're saying that that person, you need to you'd watch and monitor that differently than a person that is engaging in something for five minutes. So now let's talk about the engagement part. So they say, if you are just swiping around mindlessly, so if you're that person and you pick up your phone a hundred times a day, it's very short and you literally open up Instagram, you flip through the stories and then you close Instagram. You wait three minutes, pick up your phone again, you unlock it. This time you go to Twitter, you scroll Twitter for two minutes and then you lock it. You wait a couple minutes, you pick your phone again, you look through your photos. And then, so if you're that person that you're just constantly going back and forth, they're saying, yeah, that type of phone time and screen time could be indicative of social anxiety disorder, of depression, of all these things that they link. But they're like, if you're the type of person where you open up your phone and let's say you create a piece of content, you go to one of your social media apps and you spend 10 minutes curating a photo writing a thoughtful post to go along with that photo mm. and then taking your time, you reread it, you check, you correct the grammar, you're thinking about how is this going to present? What am I trying to say? Who is this going to reach? Um, I'm going to maybe going to send this to my friends or boy, this was really meaningful to me. I'm going to create a message that I want to present to the world. And you just spent 15 minutes doing that and you created this piece of content and you put it out in the world. And now an hour later, I go back and I spend 10 minutes interacting with that piece of content. Hey, my friend Don left a comment and I respond to him. Uh, this other person pointed something else out that I didn't realize. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see that before. And so now I'm interacting with a piece of content that I created or that someone else created. I'm being thoughtful about it. I spent the exact same amount of screen time than this other person did, but the quality and the purpose of that screen time is completely different. So the screen on project is saying when they get that granular, that they see a huge difference. Some people, it can be a sign of depression, loneliness, alienization, anxiety. For other people, it legitimately can be, hey, 
if you're creating content and interacting with that content, spend an hour. That's yeah. not a big deal. So, I, and I think the interesting thing about that, and, and that's very fascinating, when you're checking your phone, and, and I have to ask myself this sometimes, am I checking in with others or am I checking in with others to see how they feel or they're reacting to me with something that I posted, right? Right. And I felt both those things. And then also it's interesting with screens because I, I have one computer screen that's just for Windermere. And then I have another computer that I use for this podcast. And then I have my phone that I use for both. And you, when you take, like last night I took my phone, I put my phone away. My son was sleeping and I was working on the podcast and some Windermere. So, and when you put the phone away, you're still on screens, but you feel like you're doing deep work, right? And when you're talking about creating a Facebook post or being thoughtful and using some brain power about posting a picture or sending a note to someone or an email. Reading, deeply reading and concentrating on an article. Yeah, when you when you feel like you're going deep, that's when you ask yourself, why don't I spend more time going deep like this rather than just kind of flipping through right. stuff reflexively. Like I, I did a yoga class this morning on my phone. Yeah. So it's technically... That was screen time. Love it. But actually, I was exercising, and the screen was just instructing yeah. me how to exercise. You know what I did this morning? I went for a trail run, and while I was running, I practiced your eulogy. Really? Yes. How was it? I'll tell you why I did it next. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Ready for a great 2020? Take Ron and Don with you. Just hit subscribe. It's GeForce O'Neill. Thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. All right, episode 73 the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network, brought to you by Ron and Don sitting down with you, licensed brokers at Windermere. When you're ready to sit down with us, let's do it. We'll come to you. You can come to us, and let's talk about your journey. Where are you on your journey? Ready to buy? Ready to sell? Ready to invest? Maybe you're just ready to learn. Let's sit down. It's a Ron and Don sit down. Reach out to Ron. Ron at Windermere.com. Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. Before we get out of here today, you ever give a, a eulogy? Uh, mm. Have you given many uh, eulogies? No, I'm trying to think. If I, I, I don't know if I have given yeah. one. I've given a number of, of eulogies, and uh, one of the eulogies I gave. And after I got done giving this eulogy, and the service, and my brother, my sister was there, my mom was there, church full of almost 1,200 people, and my little sister was a licensed uh, music minister in a church. And so people loved her. She wrote all this music. I've shared some of her music before. And so I was asked to give the eulogy out of mm. service. So I went uh, and gave a eulogy. And and then after the eulogy, we had, we had a microphone and we had people come up and share. And there were probably eight, nine different people that came up. And what was really cool about it, some of these people were people that I never knew because they were another part of her life from when she was a little girl or when she was a mom for the first time uh, or later on in life when she was a music minister. So she, I got to see the impact that she had and people would stand up and they would share stories. And I sat there and I just went, I wish she could hear all this. And maybe she can, I don't know. But I was like, I wish we would have done this in life rather than afterwards. Cause this, I mean, at the end of the day, we were playing John Denver Thank God I'm a country boy in church. There's not too many churches where they allow you to play John Denver and thank God I'm a country boy. That's a great song. And I thought to myself, this is pretty awesome. And then it was pictures of us growing up and pictures of her and everything else. Anyway, 
I just found out a third, and I think this is what happens when we get a little older. Uh, you start finding out, and I know this happened with you, uh, that we have friends that oh, are have cancer, and and because of the cancer care lines, all three of my friends go to the cancer care lines. And they're not dying from cancer. They're living, they're learning stage four cancer to live with cancer. So you were imagining that you were giving my eulogy? Here's the reason. One of these friends came to me and they said to me, they said, hey, uh, this is what I'd like you to do. I want you to speak uh, at my funeral. And I was like, you want me to speak at you? I said, the, the, the problem is you're not dead yet. And they're like, no, but you know what? He's, this person's kind of a planner. And they're like, hey. I would like you to come speak at my funeral. Before you do that, though, I've asked some other people to speak at my funeral, and you're one of the people that I'm thinking about. I'm auditioning. I'm auditioning for a funeral to give a eulogy at a funeral. And you know I'm competitive. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, who am I up against? So then I learned some of the other people that might be there, and I'm like, oh, man, this is... You want to be the headliner. I do. I do. I don't want to be the warm-up act at this person's funeral. I want to make sure, boom. So it was kind of interesting because uh, then they shared something with me because they've been thinking about not only their own eulogy, but then they said what they do sometimes is when they're really mad at someone or they're really upset with someone, they're really ticked off, whatever it is. They said when when they exercise or they spend some time alone, they practice Doing that person's eulogy. So why were you mad at me? And they said, you know what? When you do it, when you just try it sometime, next time you're madder than a hornet at, at, at your sister Leslie or someone in your family or mom, your dad, uh, Bob pissed you off, whatever it is, take a moment. And even if it's someone that cut you off in traffic, because I know for you, that's a big one. Take a moment and give that person's eulogy. I want to hear the, my open for What's me that? as my eulogy. You know what? I've always practiced giving people's eulogies. I, I've also, I, I think about, I wonder, so it's not new to me. Like, I've given your eulogy for decades. Oh, really? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure you're going to. So you were mad at me recently. No, 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 no. When this person told me about being mad, I've always practiced giving eulogies. I just thought it was interesting because you never know. When you're gonna, when you're gonna be I, dead I, in I the do box? I'm not practicing one's eulogy. I practice my friend Joe's eulogy because I'm pre- he's three years older and I'm pretty sure he's gonna kick I it know, before he's I do. Pretty fit. What about you? What about you? Do you think about no. giving? You don't think about. It. If someone asked me, I would do. You know what? I just did a eulogy. You did. It's for my birth mom. That's why I did get up and give you one. Did. And I cried like a baby. You did. I didn't do a very good job. No, you did a great job. It was it was uh, heartfelt, but I was I was pretty blubbery. Anyway, you. I love the. I just. I love the fact that I'm competing, and I may not make even make the cut if I don't come That's up with. Fair. If I don't come up with some good stuff, so. Nonetheless, next time someone really ticks you off, and maybe it's someone you really love, practice giving their eulogy, and uh, it'll make a big difference. Also, get around somebody, and I'm serious. As stage four cancer, look at the way they live their lives. They live in the moment. They don't feel sorry for themselves. You will be a better human for it i promise if you're not around anyone don't worry it won't rub off on you cancer care alliance i just talked to a guy that goes there every monday pulls out his guitar he walks floor to floor people are waiting there for his treatments he just sits down next to him and he starts singing you got it some john denver thank god i'm a country boy he's ron i'm don keep your head up your shoulders back we'll see you next time only on the ron and don radio network
Paige G. Force O'Neill, brains of this operation, and the voice of the Ron and Don show. Well, that's it. Show's over. We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.